Howdy doody, faithful listeners and newcomers alike. I'm Chris Driver, and with me, as always, the permacurious, uh, captivating captain, Mr. Jordan Roy. You are listening to Frivolous Gravitas, and today we're going to be speaking on socialism, the big boogeyman of equal opportunity versus equality. Some people cringe at the mere mention of socialism and balk at the left for their communist ideals, as if communism were the only segue to authoritarian dystopia, despite conservatives being traditionally the major spenders and warmongers. I feel that we're numb to homegrown propaganda sometimes, but Jordan has some ideas I'd like to flesh out for a better understanding of a more conservative perspective. I'll let Jordan kick things off with his experience and see where he takes us from there. Jesus, when did I become conservative? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of going to be a lot of the um, theme of today is how am I conservative? Because I, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I started with was, uh, when I was younger, if you uh, do remember me from some of my younger days, I was quite the crusading fire breather, uh, always willing to find a rampart to go die on or something. It was a bit cringy, but um, a rebel with a cause. Oh, a rebel looking for various causes, but a lot of the causes I ended up in were piss poor. Uh, and some of them were just kind of, you know, um, I hadn't thought them through very well, or I just didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but eventually, I went to university, and I uh, decided to that I would try and actually figure out what I was learning to talk about. Now, everyone's talking nowadays about how universities and schools are indoctrinating people uh, with this or that, and I have seen that firsthand. That is not a urban legend or an exaggeration. I have definitely seen. Uh, classes go slowly from uh able to talk on any topic and you know just enjoy each other's company to jordan doesn't dis jordan disagrees with us you know let's just not talk to him he challenges our beliefs uh which we didn't have at the beginning of the school year thoughts um, are scary yeah so uh, and like the only guy i was able to talk to in, in that particular class was um the indigenous guy who was kind of just there to learn a bit. <laughs> so, uh, it was a good place for that. Yeah, it really is. You get to meet a whole bunch of people. Now, some of the people that I had met and I had never encountered before and uh, thought it was pretty groovy was a group of communists. Now, you're all going to say, oh, but you're using socialism and communism interchangeably. It's like, yeah, I am. Deal with it. So, <laughs> moving on. Um, that's going to be it for the entire, you know, podcast. So if you, if this makes you cringe or re or something, go off and post about us. In fact, make a Reddit subreddit where, um, called like our frivolous gravitas or frivolous critiques. That'd be pretty cool where you just bitch <laughs> about us. Just seethe. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll, I'll bite at you on it later. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not really like, I'm worried about like, Yes, we're all worried about totalitarianism and arbitrary power and all that BS like we talked about in our previous podcast a bit. We were talking about meaning. <clears throat> but actually, I think meaning is a good place to go from this because the reason I was such a fire breather was because I was looking for meaning. I had all this energy and I'm a very high energy individual, except for now because I'm a little uh, vaccine got to my heart. So I'm kind of on hiatus for a bit. So I'm only medium energy right now. So... But what I was looking for was a, 
outlet for that energy. I was looking for a place that I could um, sacrifice my time, my effort, my uh, uh, intellectual labor for a good cause that would make the world better. And this is where a lot of people come from and come into uh, what we call nowadays the left. Now, I'm probably going to try and avoid the terms left and right because please well, they <laughs> we're are non-binary on this channel <laughs> yeah like i said i have like i'm still considered by many to be on the left but i can also be considered by people if you look at me from another direction to be on the right like that gets I'm, back to our relativity episode <laughs> yeah like i don't know i uh I do believe in limited government, but I still do believe we should help the poor. <laughs> um, like uh, I'm definitely pro gun, but I'm uh, I'm definitely uh, pro um, universal health care. So um, yeah, do with that what you will. So you know, doesn't matter. But I have these opinions now because I've taken a lot of time to look at all these issues and see where I sit on them, and I realize that I'm just sitting on one place on those and I understand that even though like I believe that everyone should have access to healthcare, I still think that if, you know, you want an alternative, why is that a bad thing for you to be able to access? Anyway, so it's very nuanced. So I put myself on the left and the right there. Oh my God. But <laughs> okay, so going back to when I was a young fire breather with well, my start off actually, what were what were the contentious issues in school that you were having issues with uh, communicating with other classmates and stuff like what were some of the things that were all well, that off was the table that you weren't allowed to talk about communication um i kept bringing up that this in this particular class that i mentioned uh i was bringing up the fact that indigenous people and um western people could have a fundamental base of understanding with which they could communicate with each other and they're like, no, 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 they're completely different. They have completely different understandings of how the universe works. It's like, yeah, but it's the same universe. And if that was the case, then translators wouldn't be a thing. So like I can explain boat to anybody on this planet unless they've never seen water before. Like, <laughs> but like, so to me, that was an example of where I used to be. When I was arguing with those people, it felt like I was arguing with myself um, about a decade before that. Um, and uh, I think, like I've read, I definitely had read a lot more. I definitely had come to a lot more nuanced opinions. I definitely had gone away from just thinking that things can be solved with simple answers. I had definitely gone away from thinking that issues were that were in vogue were the actual issues and that I could you know solve this just by uh, changing my Facebook profile picture <laughs> and so if you've known me you know I don't have many pictures of my face on Facebook uh, but um, it's just a book book for you yeah it's <laughs> a book of faces but uh, to me that was like engaging with indoctrinated Jordan from when I was younger, because when I was younger, I was looking for that. 
I was looking for a fight. I was looking for, you know, somewhere where I could make a difference because I saw that I was able to act in the world. And it's like, all right, that's cool. So it's a, it's a good thing to know. I can make a difference and I can. Well, I'm doing this. I'm teaching. That's making a difference, you know, one hour a day uh, for some of those kids. Um, whether or not they take it, it's up to them, but, you know, I'm putting it out there. And, but back then I wanted to, you know, full of piss and vinegar, I wanted to, you know, change the world at the uh, barrel of a gun. Describe some of the ideas that inspired you, though. Like specifically, wh well, what 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 enticed you? Well, this gets at to where this gets at to the reasonable place where communism and socialism start. Um, because I wanted to help people. It was innate. It wasn't something like it didn't feel selfish. It was. It felt like it was coming from a place of almost unhealthy selflessness uh, because I wanted to do good and I knew I wanted needed to do good in the world. But I think there might have actually been a selfish aspect to it because it also came from a place of fear. And I remember working a ton of shitty jobs. like, um, And this taught me a lot about um, people and humanity, but it also made me desperate. And working for eight hours a day or longer to just barely be able to pay rent and afford food and do this and do that was very difficult. And you're tired. And when you're tired, you're not thinking straight. And when you're not thinking straight, you get angry. And when you're angry, you get more tired. And it's a vicious circle. And what you want is a way to get out. And so what I was thinking was, if this is me, and I don't really have it that bad, then what do other people have that really can't make it out, that are just kind of from the beginning? Word. So, And I was thinking, because I was absolutely desperate, and I was angry, and I can understand that, 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 that vicious desperation. And I thought, well, something needs to be done. And well, well, something. And the thing is, is there's there's two fallacies with that, um, with that statement. Is that one, someone, and uh, what needs to be done? Now, the, the first thing is someone is, oh, you have two hands, go do it. Well, but it usually ends up being the government. Well, the government's never solved anything, uh, and then. Um, the other one is a lot of stuff's already actually being done. And I wasn't party to any of that. I didn't know any of that. All I was being told is like, nothing, everything's terrible, blah, blah, blah. I was being fed what I was seeing. And from the bottom, you don't get much chance to see anything but that desperation and that fear of what's happening next. So what I did was, well, I made a plan. I need to get back to school. I need to save up money. I need to do this. So I started scraping it together and I ended up going to school. But um, that, that want to help drove me into a few places. I knew I wasn't cut out for healthcare uh, <laughs> uh, or a soup kitchen. I, uh, I, I just thought of myself being like, 
you know, slopping on the tray, being like, next, and just being a horrible soup kitchen junk, uh, jockey. And uh, uh, so I thought, you know, and this is back before this was a thing. I thought, well, what if I uh, join a law enforcement and I can, you know, maybe do something from there. And so I, you know, went through all the law enforcement things, which ended up actually giving me a lot of self-awareness because they ask you a lot of questions about yourself. Um, and it forced me to get into really, really good shape uh, and learn about the law. But it also taught me that uh, on, upon self-reflection, when they ask you all these questions about yourself and your history, that I was not meant to be a uh, in law enforcement either. So I had also at that time uh, encountered a lot of what the French describe as les miserables, <laughs> on the streets of Winnipeg in the middle of the night, uh, up close and personal, uncensored and horrible. I got like my first taste of some of the worst aspects of humanity uh, as Canada can offer it. And I saw that the desperation had, I guess what you could call claimed these people. There was no way out for them. What Honestly, are you referring to? Like you walk through Skid Row or was it a protest or a march or something? Or oh, I was doing security oh, in, right. like downtown in the middle of the night outside. <laughs> I, uh, I had my share of incidents and uh, a lot of them showed me that and it made me, it didn't make, it made me a bit like, there's two things that that can do to you. It can make you disdainful and jaded. Um, or it can make you be like, somebody needs to do something. And that's what happened to me. So I was also getting desperate with my own life. Uh, and security is not a good job. So I uh, went and worked elsewhere. Uh, eventually, I ended up in school. And I had found a lot of like-minded individuals where I was really, uh, you know, we need to do something. We need to do something. And we thought that the way things were wasn't working well the way things were the way things are has never worked for anybody ever there's always going to be bad things happen no matter what the way things are is faulty uh and so we didn't really understand that yet because we were just we just knew that people were suffering and we needed to the the, the job of a good person is to alleviate human hurt and that's what we thought back then and so this was reinforced by our professors, um, particularly one professor who, um, an old guy by the name of Dr. Aubrey Neal, who was a professor of uh, 20th century history, whose class I did so poorly in because I hadn't yet figured out how to write <laughs> and because I was just new to the whole academic scene. And he would monologue for good, you know, 90 minutes on, you know, this and that, and he'd rile on about, uh, you know, the Cold War and how it was mostly America's fault and this and that. And then he'd, you know, give short shrift to, you know, Brezhnev and, and, and Khrushchev and Stalin and be like, yeah, yeah, but it was actually Eisenhower. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. And so this, what happened eventually was, you know, you develop a self-hate for the group you're in, in school, 
and you end up developing this mysticism over this other way of thinking, which was um, communism, this Soviet practice. And we all got really deep into it. We thought it was just the coolest thing ever. Oh yeah, it's a party. Let's join it. And so maybe some of us had read any of Marx's work, but we were pretending that it was cool because reading is hard. And you know, when you're starting university, you are uh, not the best student. Uh, so it <coughs> became signed reading. Are no, you talking about? Oh or? no, none of this was ever assigned, <laughs> uh, which I thought was stupid. Um, anything. I always thought it was weird when in school, they'd like talk about some like big theoretician and then they just wouldn't have, you know, a 60 page book assigned, like just go read Marx already, uh, or just go read Foucault already. It's like, well, you quoted every class and it's never been assigned in the six classes it's been quoted in like you. So <laughs> that's just my a little critique of mine, but we got into it and it became this thing. And you started to, what happened was we all started to romanticize, you know, these past revolutionaries and like China and the Soviet Union and, uh, you can't really, it's hard to romanticize Cambodia. Um, uh, you know, the brave Viet Cong and all that. And, you know, Eastern Germany wasn't all that bad and that kind of stuff. And these are all lies, but <laughs> Eastern Germany was garbage. Um, as evidenced by what they had to do to bring them back up to snuff after the wall fell. But um, the this was still happening. So this is about 2010 for me. And um, at that time, so that time I had already, I had lost my job because the, uh, uh, I lost one of my jobs because the market crashed in 2009. So I was like, oh, you know, capitalism doesn't work. I was firsthand account that capitalism doesn't work. Well, okay. So I'm definitely a product of my time at this point, and I haven't done my readings yet. So, and I still want to help, but I'm not volunteering. I'm not doing anything. I'm just kind of trying to get my life together and saying, I want to do something that I want to help and taking history, which is definitely not going to help the poor. <laughs> <laughs> well, it so, can help guide them though. Like yeah, a historical perspective is I think absolutely crucial if you're going to be planning forward because you don't oh, want to repeat the mistakes, right? Definitely. Um, <clears throat> although I've still kind of think that like history is written by the survivors and not the victors, <laughs> but yeah, um, that's why it's important to read between the lines though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is. And that's why we have historians to be like, well, no, this is a fake. Um, or no, actually yeah. it says this, you're just interpreting it the way you want to interpret it. Yeah. Or but, this is being embellished in this way by this person because of this past and yada, yada. But context is important as we always say. Yeah, some of the things I wasn't biting on, though, I remember. Uh, I wasn't biting on um, there's no absolute truth. I wasn't biting on, uh, like, it's like, it's like well, yeah, but, but, but then how does science work? I wasn't biting on um, the fact that, you know, certain parties are, I, I, I really like the idea of, you know, all men are created equal. That, that, that really 
you know, it really got me right here. It still gets me right here because, you know, all men are equal. You know, where when you when you zoom out enough from humanity, everyone just looks the same. Doesn't matter how, you know, how well constructed of a human you are. You know, just, just if you zoom out enough resolution, we just become like, can you tell a, you know, like a duck a, from another duck? Exactly. Or like a couple <clears throat> ants. Can you tell like the best ant away from like one that's like kind of just doing its job? <laughs> yeah. No, they're just ants. So like there's a lot of variation within the, in humans, but you know, if you look at us as a group, then we're all just humans. So this, this made sense to me and I was kind of like, you know what? But I really had an anti-American streak. <clears throat> oh boy. And, uh, it was it was rough. What was I, that based in, though? What, what what are the ideals that you were romanticizing? Can you describe it? No, uh, let me think here. Because like a lot of it was just like, it's America's fault. Like, what's America's fault? And it's just like, yeah, <laughs> we weren't really thinking too much about it, and that's the problem. Um, and uh, so it was more an emotional thing where you wanted to do good, yeah. felt good to be participating in some type of action. Right. And this was the exact time that, uh, that, um, I was given an outlet for exactly that in the most unhealthy way, maybe, uh, which was in October, 2011, uh, the, the Arab spring happened and we were like, yeah, Jordan says, not knowing anything about what it's like over in Ar Arabia. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, go get them. And we're just like, okay. Uh, that sounds like something that's cool. It's happening, but it sounds romantic. You know, people are rising up like just the words that, you know, you're rising up against arbitrary authority, but we didn't like know the it power, was man. Yeah. And <laughs> we didn't know that it would completely backfire on the Arab people. Oh man, you poor people. <laughs> it only, was it Tunisia where the Arab spring only worked? Well, it's not that it didn't work anywhere else. Like oh, the no, Egyptian they, government was overthrown. Yeah. And they, they were legit. They, yeah and they were and then they clamped down and became theocratic and tunisia they like were like no more corruption the government's like shit we're out of here and then you know they got a <laughs> they, they they fixed a few things i think Although, the military took i don't know if that's for a while in in egypt oh yeah in egypt yeah yeah CC, egypt was it yeah or, egypt went up and it's like arab spring and then the government's like <clears throat> you know military law spring <laughs> It's but the people like, were supporting the military because the military was helping them overthrow the government. So it's yeah, really military, convoluted because the power is just like being thrown around like a hot potato. Yeah. It's just the people opportunists waiting to exploit the chaos. But that's besides the point. Um, when that sentiment got to North America, it became the Occupy movement and a bunch of hippies. Uh, I'm saying that unironically like literally hippies um some weird christian movements some fringe christians and uh i'm not gonna get into them um look up 12 tribes of israel it's like a commune in manitoba um <laughs> they were there but uh the uh communists socialists just general leftists um, self-described leftists that's why i'm using that um and people who were uh you know tourists uh so like i guess i could be considered a tourist when i was at the latest greta thunberg rally where i was showing up just to be like oh 
there's a big thing happening in my city. And I ran out and was like, oh, wow, look at this happening. This is, this is terrifying, but it's really cool to watch. You know, look at these people who are going to want to fight, but it's just, they're not going to get one. And uh, I'm just sitting there being a tourist and people are like, oh, I'm so glad that so many people here. I'm like, yep, I'm uh, not partisan here. <laughs> But uh, there they're were all journalists. <laughs> yeah, they're all, everyone's just journalists. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there were a lot of those. But there was a lot of people that were just kind of unemployed happily. Um, these weren't like a lot of them were white, <laughs> to be frank. Um, and there were a couple, uh, as a lot of university students. So what I did, I heard this coming. I was like, I could be a guy, like I've always been a guy that wants to experience life to some extent, you know, in the Epicurean way, but not in that like hedonistic bastardization of Epicureanism. It's like stuff's happening. Take part. Like yeah. it's just like, it was a candidate party. Well, let's go to the party. Uh, now I've always been timid about it because I used to be very introverted. Yeah. Weak is a good word for it too. <laughs> um, I would use for that for past me, but, um, so I went and I brought a bunch of my, my books that I had mostly read, you know, stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, I've read it. I'm actually thinking of reading it again to go over it just to, brush up but um and Montes every economist foray, foray into the sciences <laughs> yeah and i uh, i think i brought montesquieu i brought um i brought some machiavelli i brought i said let's go to work <laughs> like this is like you're all bitching about econ economics so i hadn't really got into it so i didn't know I wasn't part of the 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 rah rah crowd and the whatever the heck they were, but I liked the slogans and economic feudalism. I liked all that stuff. Uh, I liked carrying around a sign, and damn, was I good at it! Oh boy, yeah, that was scary. I'm glad I didn't go down that path. Um, and uh, so, what happened? Like from all this. I met the people there. <laughs> that was the problem. I met a few people that I actually became friends with. Um, one guy, uh, this Asian guy, John, who I would hang out with every once in a while. He's a weird guy, but uh, kind of really fun to be around. And there was a bunch of other guys from um, human geography, which is literally just, that doesn't mean anything. I'm sorry, guys. I literally said to them when I met them, it's like, oh, we're in human geography. It's like, humans living places that's literally anything <laughs> you could study anything under the heading human geography so <laughs> they're like yeah pretty much so these people were fun to hang out with we hang out with them at the uh, at the bar a bit and uh talking about like social issues and what can be done you know one of them is a vegan talking about that i'm like oh yeah i'm never gonna stop eating meat i'm sorry um and uh it was there was a few there that were a bit, um, what we'd call now, uh, that were a bit, um, they needed psychological help. Uh, but we would call that now, um, uh, non-conforming, I guess, not in a trans way, just like, you know, societal way. Uh, I'm just different. No, you, you need a therapist <laughs> at some point. 
you just there's there's this there's, there's there's like certain times when you're a bit different and there's certain times where you can have a you should get a therapist but there they i'm not saying that these people are bad or that they were the best people ever they were just people and they were the type of people which you would see a cross section of uh as representation of the academic world definitely on the left everyone's reading foucault and discussing what it means and all that stuff and we sit around discussing you know high-minded stuff because that's what we do there's nothing wrong with that and but when we head back to our tent and stuff like that and the slogans say you know decolonize canada i'm like i'd never heard that before it was the first time i'd come across that it's like what does decolonize canada mean i ask and they're like oh you know it's just we need to decolonize canada i was like Okay, but what does that entail? Well, we need to, you know, it's a colonial nation. We need to decolonize it. And I was like, okay, well, like, how would that look like? How would that do? Well, we need to decolonize. I'm just like, oh, okay, fine. Fuck off. <laughs> so I never got an answer until like many years later. Uh, <laughs> so, so what is like, it supposed to mean? Because I don't understand that term either. Uh, get rid of colonial structure. It's just essentially but destroyed. None of us are colonies anymore. We all work together. Yeah, I was born here. I'm a native as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <I'm not indigenous, laughs> but That's why uh, I don't get it. It's The colonies aren't here anymore. It's We're all natives. It's kind of yeah. weird to say, like, decolonize. Hey, success. Yeah. <laughs> well, all gone. That was uh, in New York in the 1860s, um, around the 1840s to 1860s there were native gangs and that meant, you know, they were like Patriot American gangs. We're Americans. We're natives of America. And the, 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 the native Americans were Indians back then. Now, I guess I'm native to Canada, but I'm not a native. <laughs> I'm not indigenous or first nations. Actually, I'm not even a native of Alberta. Technically I'm a native of Manitoba, but whatever. So, <laughs> wow, that's going to, not definitely not getting hired after anybody sees this. Um, Jordan destroys his employment prospects. Chapter four thirty. This is episode. 34 I don't think you've said anything bad yet. <laughs> oh, Hello. yeah. So one of the people I met. Okay, so there was a twelve tribes of Israel Christian group that I met, and they were fun. It was like a super Hutterite group, I guess. And uh, they dress like Hutterites. And uh, usually Hutterites are kind of cool to chill with. Um, but what are we don't... talking about? Like socialism? What, what is all Yeah, that? no, I know. I'm getting into it. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm getting into giving a cross section here. The rest are added... about people with insane ideas who have no articulation of their ideas. <laughs> yeah. So I am a bit tired. So what I want to do. I'm helping you steer. That's all. Yeah, I know. So you got these people who think that all authority that exists comes from God. And then you have all this other group of people who think that they're just there because, um, you know, good vibes. There's a lot of that. And then there's a, once the speeches start, you get student speakers who are a lot like me, you know, they're, they're, they're academic socialists, academic communists. They're flirting with communism and they're, 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 they're pushing their chests out. But then you get people like Daryl Rankin, the then, I don't know if he's still a uh, communist member of the Canadian Communist Party. So, you know, they do marches and stuff. But he's, I met him and I was just like, I'm actually really interested in, you know, your party. And I'm actually interested in getting to know this stuff. And so... 
I talk with him for a bit and this guy's just not really what I expected. So he starts talking. We need to, we need to do this and we need to do that. And, you know, um, make sure that everyone has schooling. I'm like, I have schooling, you know, make sure, uh, you know, indigenous people have rights. It's like, I thought they did have rights. And so like stuff like this, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was at Occupy. So they're, they're, they're riling against Wall Street because that's what's going on. So the thought of it, of the whole Occupy movement was Wall Street's kind of screwed up because of uh, the stuff that happened in 2008 and all the other stuff that they didn't like in the war. And we're all just sitting around just poo-pooing everything without any actual thing. So I meet all these people, including the Communist Party of Canada members, and I'm slowly getting disenfranchised. Now, this kind of starts my downward spiral, but I will not, I, uh, I haven't started, haven't stopped my flirtation with communism at this point because it's going to get much worse for me. Uh, and So what are the ideas that drove you in and what are the ideas yeah, that drove you Yeah, so that's you what in? I'm going to get to now. So I asked what they wanted and they wanted to end capitalism. And I was like, okay, cool. That sounds like what I'm interested in. Capitalism sucks, you know, power or whatever. And, uh, and I was like, okay, then what do we replace it with? And they're like, communism. I'm like, rad. Okay, but how do we do that? And they're like, you know, we just got to rise up. It's like, okay, but and I wanted mechanics. I wanted to know what the next step was. I wanted to know, okay, we're doing this now. What's step two? And so all I was getting was, okay, we need to replace this. Everyone should be getting, you know, we should be getting money from, you know, this. We should all have enough to spend. We should all have, you know, uh, we shouldn't have to do this. We should all have enough food because, you know, it's possible. We should, and then the environment's going to crap and, you know, uh, it's all their fault and we could, we should all just be living on the land. I was like, okay, this is a lot of stuff to just take in right now. Um, hold on. So we're here, we're talking. Okay. That's good. That's good. Step one, have a mm -hmm. meeting, organize <laughs> and assemble, Done. organize and assemble done. Okay. So what does that allow us to do in my head? That allows us to talk and figure out step two. Plan. Turns out step two was, and then step three is the revolution. So, that's all I was getting. It's a big and, jump. <laughs> yeah. So to me, I felt like a lot of these people had no idea what they wanted. And they had no idea what was going on. They had no idea of the fact they so all they were just that, angry and they wanted to make noise, basically. Right. So, but they got a couple things out of it. One, solidarity feels so good. And I say this all the time, and it does. Um, you get a bunch of people together and they get to sit around. But one thing I noticed is that and would foreshadow a lot of the social justice BS. Um, yes, yeah, set a deal with it. Um, all this stuff where they would be sitting around and they'd be like, you know, someone would say something and everyone would clap and they'd be like, no clapping. That could trigger people. Blah, blah. I'm just like, we need to do this. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? It triggers me to clap. <laughs> How? And I was just, one thing I noticed is that they were talking about, so we talk about something and we get in a circle because circles are, you know, better. Because there's no one at the head of the table. And so, Jesus. So, what it became about was form. We all wanted to talk about the problems. Now, I actually wanted to talk about what to do next, which is why I was getting really annoyed with all of them. Because I was coming here, I was doing something, I was be being part of history, and that sounds really cool. But I wanted to, like, let's talk about, you know, economics. 
I came to learn, teach, and move forward. And so what I was finding was um, schoolyard politics. So we started a discussion. It always started a discussion where, um, okay, so we'd start a discussion. We're going to talk about how to, the problems with, uh, you know, capitalism, stuff like that, and businessmen and how they're terrible. But then instantly the discussion would be like, you know, someone else would want to speak or someone else would want to be the head of the discussion. And then it would quickly devolve into two-hour discussion on rules of discussion. And then they'd break off into different minor discussions and rules of discussion. And then some of those smaller discussions would break off into smaller discussions based on you know, little aspects of the rules, which it would end up just becoming little, um, cliques. <laughs> no, well, cliques. Yes. But also just like a couple of people would just go off and have, you know, sex in a tent. Um, and so, uh, I got pretty disenfranchised with that saying these people don't actually want to solve anything. They just want to feel hurt. And I was just like, is that what communism is? So instead of being like, screw that, I'm on the right, I'm on the right. What I did was I was like, okay, if they don't know what the next step of, you know, uh, the revolution or whatever is, well, then I got to figure that out. So, and how do I figure that out? Well, I got to actually learn about this stuff. So I continued my school, which yeah, in hindsight is actually kind of reasonable. And uh, I'm kind of glad I didn't just be like, those people that's entirely reasonable what better solution would you find than i should get educated so i can be a leader like that's yeah. the best thing you could possibly do in my opinion so it turns out that you know communist sentiment was in style um in the uh, academy as is very in evidence now uh and it's but it doesn't really offer any solutions. You want to overthrow the system. Okay. You want to be that, but a lot of people, including myself, were using it to be like, yeah, I was at Occupy. Aren't I cool? But, 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 and I'm just sitting in class doing that. Like, oh yeah, I was just came from the Occupy movements and just not even thinking about the fact that I probably stink. <laughs> and, and, you know, waving around a sign all day. And that I, uh, but yeah, I think I should probably move this forward. So I, uh, there was still no idea of how that was going to happen. And I never really found a how. So as I, as I study more and actually read this stuff and get into it, it's the rhetoric just, it sounds really good. You know, workers of the world unite. And I was just like, yeah, I've been a worker. I've been there. It's like, you feel like there's nothing out, you know, there's no way out. But I didn't realize that most workers don't actually give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, maybe I should have actually talked to workers and been like, yeah, I'm a communist. They're like, cool. I'm part of a union. And because I'm in the union, I don't have to care about it because, you know, that's it. <laughs> so to me, these were the people fighting it, but all the people fighting it were just sitting around not doing anything. And I became one of those people uh, very quickly, you know, studying, talking the talk. We started a student group. Uh, we named the, uh, the head of the student group, the general secretary, a la the Soviet Union, which was actually kind of cheeky and fun. Um, 
And uh, instead of it being something that we were working towards, it ended up being a aesthetic, pretty much just something that we liked, something that we took the symbology of and brought it into ourselves and would talk about. And every once in a while in class, we'd be like, well, how does this help the little people? How was, how would this help? And that was the extent of what we were doing. How does this help, you know, the small people? We need to hear more about the stories of the underclass, you know, less of big man history, less of this. And it's just like, that's all we were doing. We were just critiquing stuff and we were just poo-pooing stuff for like years and years and years. Um, <clears throat> And eventually it got to the point where I was actually being very open about this stuff. And this was about 2014, 15 or 16. Um, six, yeah, to around that time, uh, society was getting pretty fun, wasn't it? Um, and uh, I remember being very openly communist around that time. And it was really cool. Everyone was doing this. I was getting kind of side eyes, but I wasn't seeing them from you know people who were like, okay, sure, whatever them pipsqueak don't know what you're talking about and you know i was saying stuff like oh well it's never been tried before oh well they haven't done it right oh i got you know supplanted by uh this and that if we actually did it you know i had this like anarcho communist vision that if we you know did it just right everyone would just end up with stuff so this ended up and then my my, my theory of this was that like you either work within the government or you overthrow the government and supplant it with some kind of new thing. And uh, so what do you think that would look like? What is that new thing? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, it would be, so in my head, you know, my brilliant mind, you know, IQ of 900 minus about 800, um, was that you know you get in there kick everyone out and then you petition the populace and slowly build up a series of judgments and precedent very carefully but <clears throat> like as a group effort or what yeah or do you delegate so, one person to do on behalf of the group or do you have committees what, and you set you separate I think some of it was authority. I think some of it was uh you had like a philosopher king where, you know, a la Plato who would be able to do this. You know, you have someone who can just see it and you put your faith in them and then they go. And this is a lot of why communism uh needs that cuz you know, oh, I can't do it, but you know, someone there is a guy out there who could. And we got to find him and give him the power and like Ugh! which is, you know, that's just authoritarianism 101. Um <laughs> So I was still running around doing this, but I was just like, I thought if we just kept pushing for workers' rights, if we kept pushing for an equalized pay scheme, if we kept pushing for uh, higher taxes, yeah, I said that, um, then we'd be able to, um, you know, things would just level out eventually and everyone would just be able to pick their job or whatever they wanted. I wasn't even thinking in terms of, you know, um, to each uh, according to their need, to each according to their ability, or is it backwards? I wasn't thinking in those terms. I was just thinking about everyone gets an equal share. If someone has more, we take it from them and give to others, which is actually you know, uh, the essence of that thing, which is in practice quite 
an evil thing because you know what happens if all of a sudden you're like oh look i've got a bumper crop and then the commissar comes around and you know gives it to those in more need yeah uh, yeah you still have all the work of harvesting all the extra crop <laughs> yeah so it's you know instead of just you know hiring a bunch of new guys to help with the bumper crop and then they creating you know the bumper crop creating more value because you know now you can hire more and then those people have blah 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 blah. okay so that sounds like i'm not going to use the word capitalism when i refer to the way i see it so i'm going to use the word free market which sounds scary you know to old jordan and uh i'm going to use but like regulated free market you know you can't not pay them <laughs> so what so it isn't that socialism though yeah no that's regulation just because the government dictates something doesn't mean that's socialism the government still we still need a government like the government does serve a purpose but just because the government acts doesn't mean the government's socialism that's kind of a fallacy that worth getting with that left and right thing where like well you know if the government paid for something well that's a socialist thing it's like well technically according to the definition that socialists have for socialism but like it's just roads buddy so if the government <laughs> makes a regulation though that specifically protects employees that would be socialism would it not because oh, it's, it's a protecting society and people no, that's just a regulation that protects employees. Why do we have to call it socialism? <laughs> but isn't that just by definition socialism? When the government imposes restrictions on an employer so that the employees and the society is better off that, that they wouldn't otherwise have done? That is what socialism does. But I think that... Capitalism not... would be slavery. It's the exact opposite. And we're talking about abject capitalism and abject socialism, obviously. That's well, I'm trying to move away from these 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 labels, not these labels, these um categories, because socialism likes to say that exactly that. You you have, you know, once the government does something for its people, then that's socialism. And it's just like no matter what happens, that's socialism. So it doesn't even matter. And the, the socialists like to say, Well, you're already socialist. Well, no, I'm not. I just believe in helping people. Well, that's socialism. It's like, I'm not a socialist. I can help people and not be a socialist. And because socialism and communism are inherently um, um, teleological. They have an end point. They, they're going somewhere. It's you're helping the poor in order to further cause, not just to help the poor. You don't you're, you're, you're not making, you know, you're not funding soup kitchens because you're a communist, you're funding soup kitchens or because you're worried about the poor. So, but you could also do that as a capitalist, right? Like you could oh, have a soup yeah. kitchen set up so that your hospitals aren't overwhelmed with starving people because having a hospital overwhelmed with starving people is preventable and it costs more money than just feeding them. Well, look as at an someone like uh, Henry Ford, who is a contentious example, but he would uh, he paid his employees more. Well, why? Because he wanted them to be able to afford their his cars that they were building for him. So he thought, I'm building cars for the so that I can sell them to everybody. So he's like, I'm going to pay them more and give them health care and give them you know free church and give them churches and grocery stores and blah 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 access to everything because they work for Ford. Now there are a few rules. You're not allowed to cheat on your wife. Just it was it was the first example of this. So uh, and he was a eccentric fellow. But 
he was not a socialist by any means. In fact, uh, if someone spoke the word union or something, he'd have like goons outside his door. Um, but what he was doing, like by paying them uh, enough to afford their accommodations in their car, uh, you know, one could say this is a socialist policy, you know, paying them a living wage is what they call it now, or giving them health care. But this was for the, the point of it wasn't for to further a, you know, abstract political end. It was so that he could make money off the people that were working off of him because a good deal is one that benefits everyone involved. You know, a good, a good businessman, a good is one that where it's like, okay, you know, that never let a sucker get away with his buck kind of deal is that's, that's evil shit. Like that's the kind of thing that I used to think that every capitalist was someone who's just out to take from others. Everyone's just cynically out to grab everything else. But I've seen deals where it's like, okay, I give you something, you get something. Everything's, everyone's enriched and everyone's happy. Well, no, but you're taking my money. It's like, yeah, but I'm giving you an hour's worth of my life and teaching your kids. So yeah. like you're, and like, I'm saving you 10 years of your studying so that you could do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. So like, this is an, this is an exchange. This is not zero sum. So let me just put a pinpoint on that then just to make it clear, it's, it is possible to have the same approach by government and intervention by government be both or either capitalist or socialist, depending on the motivation for that implement. Yeah. So in other words, you could be a capitalist, strictly capitalist and make an economic decision to feed poor people so that they don't wind up in your hospitals and cost you more money. Or yeah. you could be strictly socialist and just say, I want people to have a better life and nobody should go without food. And for the good of humanity and mankind, we should just feed people. And that would be a purely socialist perspective because they're ignoring the financial aspect of feeding people or starving people. Yeah. And this is kind of like, yeah. I think this is the biggest fallacy when people discuss socialism versus communism and capitalism mm. is because they think in these absolute terms that you can't have a soup kitchen that's capitalist and you can't have a grocery store that's socialist. And yeah. the real crux of the matter is everything is not um, one way or the other. It's not black or white. Everything is a meld of socialism and capitalism, no matter how you approach it. Yeah. And like you have the idea that like, um, and definitely I get this is where the people coming to the soup kitchen are really angry and you want, it all depends on how you see money too as well. Cause like a lot of people see like money is the root of all evil, which just sounds really good. And then you, you know, get, you get your taxes in the, in the, in the mail or you have to pay for stuff and you know, why does everything cost money? That kind of thing. And you just like, Oh, you know, you get another bill and you're like, you were saving up for something and that's out the window. And, you know, I can imagine in the States right now you get the, the medical bill and you don't have insurance. Yeah, that's fun. And we're not having insurance and having a, uh, needing a root canal. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and yeah, Dr. Perry Kimmelman is not a good dentist. Don't go to him. He cost me more money. Yeah. I'm calling you out. You'd know what you mm -hmm. did. Um, I spent more money because you didn't do your job. Uh, so, um, the the thing is, is that money is a tool, just like anything else. 
I, I could say shovels are the root of all evil because I can, you know, dig up roots and stuff or, but it's a tool. Shovels could be used for a bunch of nefarious purposes, but they're just shovels. Money is, well, it's the way it's constructed. It's constructed in a way that's inherently this or that. And that's, that's a nice little metaphysical bow that you've got on there, but it is not that. It's a representation of value in the market and trust in that market by everyone who's engaging in that market. It's a simple medium of exchange. I mean, yeah. who would want to trade pigeons for for rocks and twigs? Like it would be so much harder to just go about your daily life to buy shoes if you had to like collect a rat skin and a rabbit pelt, you know? Right. And when you're <laughs> at the bottom, money is definitely that thing that you are worrying about. Oh boy, is it ever that. And I and I do like not having to worry about money now. Uh, me and my wife both work. Uh, we work hard and uh, we don't make you know, tons, but we make enough. And that's really, for right now, that's good enough. You know, I make enough to not have to worry about it. And that's good. But when you're not making enough, it consumes you and it becomes the boogeyman and it becomes that thing that's oppressing you. And I felt this. And then when it becomes that thing that's oppressing you, you can imagine what it's like for someone who's, you know, 10 times as desperate as you. Some people who didn't even have a chance right out of the gate. Like I had a chance. I pulled myself up pretty hard. And, uh, and it, it took a lot of work, but it always takes work for everybody, no matter what. And, but if you're starting from a place of like, we know, well, I don't really have to explain that. We've all seen that. And if you haven't, you know, go see it. Um, it's bad. It makes you feel bad. And you do want to, you get that feeling that you want to help. Um, but it's when that's oppressing you, it's really easy to be a communist. I say. So when I left, lost that, when I became more financially viable, it's almost like that fear left, that worry and that misery left. And my ideas didn't make sense anymore. And I think that's one of the strangest parts because I realized that, and like I said before, a lot of this ideology and a lot of this soapboxing was built on an edifice of emotion rather than on fact or anything. So that second step that I was looking for, why well, I wasn't going to find it because there was no second step. It was just crush, kill, destroy in the name of my fear of not having it. So the system, which is obviously a bit flawed, was not the thing that was oppressing me. It was not money. It was and this is going to sound a little harsh if uh, if you're having similar circumstances, but it was me that was oppressing me um, because I, if I had stopped working, I would never have gotten out of my oppression. Now, yes, I was being oppressed, blah, 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 but it wasn't that bad of an oppression. I wasn't being like targeted or anything. I wasn't being this. The oppression was simply I was poor. That's it. I wasn't getting three meals a day. Uh, anybody who knew me knew how skinny I was, and I'm still pretty scrawny, but I'm 
Uh, now I have a different problem where I keep working it all into muscle before I can make any fat. But, um, but back then I was like, I remember a couple of meals where I was just like, I have sesame seeds and that's it. And that's what I'm eating today. And I have to write a paper and go to work and work eight hours. And it's just like, you steal stuff from, you know, the, the restaurant you're working at. And, you know, I think I stole toilet paper from Starbucks. Come get me. But they, um, and I think it's easy to get into a radical mindset when you have that sort of desperation. When it's worse, I can definitely understand where it's coming from. Now, that doesn't make it right. And that doesn't mean I got out of it that quickly. So one could say that, you know, if you're a liberal when you're young, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you don't have a heart. If you're not a conservative when you're older, you don't have a brain. But I definitely uh, worked on my brain. And the thing that really turned me around from just writing down where things were wrong in papers and finding out how, you know, this, the guy didn't go far enough in his, you know, reforms or whatnot, or this or that was reading George Orwell. And yeah, I had read 1984 and Animal Farm and I was like, okay, so this is communism done wrong. But the thing that got me was, um, homage to Catalonia. And that was an interesting book because it's about his diaries when he had gone to fight with the communists in the Spanish Civil War and they essentially betrayed him and were talking out their butts and he just kind of sat in a trench for four months until he ended up in a hotel where his wife told him to run because the secret police of his own faction were coming to get him for being in the wrong communist faction. Uh, and so then he just goes into the literature of the papers of the day and how, you know, they kept saying different and opposing things based on, you know, whether Trotsky was <clears throat> in power or not. And he was um, in the Trotskyist fashion. And once Trotsky got ousted from the USSR, he uh, became um, a uh, uh, kind of a, uh, what do you call those people? Heretic. <laughs> so, so maybe you can explain to me then why people attribute that type of government to socialism and not dictatorial shit. Because I find it really odd that when a capitalist dictator is, a, is in power, they, they don't blame all of the issues on capitalism. They blame the dictator. But when a socialist uh, or country has a dictator, it's the socialism that's the problem. That, to me, seems like a fundamental attribution error. If all of the issues that we're, we're blaming communism on has to do with an authoritarian figure, then that's authoritarianism first and communism second, no? I don't know if you if can the have problem a, isn't the communism. The I don't know problem. if you can have a capitalist dictator. They won't become a dictator. They're no longer capitalists. And well, like, well, the Saudi monarchy like, is capitalist dictator. Okay, yeah, yeah, good point. Actually, that's a really good point. So well, it's South Korea, okay. Singapore. Uh, oh, no, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like state capitalism. So which I'm definitely against because uh, like you know you, that's definitely a good way of creating uh, you know a capitalist class. But here's the, the thing, if the power is distributed, it's not an issue. Like if you actually had democracy, it wouldn't matter if you were socialist or capitalist because the people would decide. Right, and but it, it could vacillate but between. But that, that, that means that you need freedom in order for people to be able to vote. So and totalitarianism that, is the problem. <laughs> yeah, totalitarianism is the problem on both sides. And like, 
So like, cause like if you have a guy who says, oh yes, I had a state capitalism, I'll run everything. But really what he is, is a militarist. Uh, and so, or, um, or Venezuela and Chavez, like that wasn't a communism problem. That was a Chavez spending money that didn't happen or occur, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think what I had seen was that communism will not like I, I had lost the eyes and I had been like really into it. I was like getting into the Frankfurt school, getting into Antonio Gramsci before this. And I was like, Oh man. Yeah. And I was diving in. I haven't heard that name in years. Which one? <laughs> Gramsci. Oh yeah. I think I had brought it up and you're like, who's this guy? Yeah. And, I, and I was just like Shut getting up. into him and I was just like that and some of the Frankfurt school in LA. And I was like, Oh yeah, there's like, you know, accepted cultures and oppositional cultures and, you know, they're always fighting each other. And it was just all this, like one of the things that I noticed and looking back on them is that's like a lot of the rhetoric is just so overly complicated for what it is. You know, we need another category to go on to this category and we have, you know, this, the, well, you're part of an oppositional culture that's wrapped up in the rhetoric of blah, 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 blah. blah. It's like what you said, you need a step two. You don't need more labels and categories yeah. and more talk. What you need is an actual organized plan. A We're thoughtful... stuck making rules in step one. It's like that one, if you go, uh, our, our watchers can go look up the, uh, I think it was the San Francisco communist chapter where they're trying to have a, uh, <laughs> they're trying to have a, um, a meeting like a like a conference but then there's just a bunch of point of orders from everybody it's like point of <laughs> point of privilege point of privilege you know can we not use this can we not clap you know some people here are this oh can we not do this some people and they, they did they don't actually get to talking about anything because it's easy to not actually talk about the thing you want to talk about it's easy to digress and digress and digress because then you don't have to deal with the actual issue which is which building do you want to burn first <laughs> Well, and so one of the things that brought me out of it at last was this question, which I guess, which building you want to burn first? Because I was uh, in a very committed relationship at that point. And one thing that happened was the University of Manitoba teachers went on strike. And I was like, I can help with this. And I did. I went and stood on the, the, the pickets and everyone was in opposition. I thought, you know, a strike is a strike. You help the workers. And so I thought, you know, this was me being that. So I would stand there and I'd, you know, hold the sign and we went to the marches. And I noticed that the marchers were, when there was an actual large march, the students and the teachers all marching on, you know, uh, the administration building. And I would stand there and I'd go to the front and be like, why are we walking so slow? Why are we so quiet? And like be in this guy's ear being like, you need to do this. You need to be like smashing your, like these, grab a stick, smash it on your sign to make noise. You need to be yelling. Like you can't just be like marching. You can't just be seen. You need to be heard. You need to be go this. It's like, and I was just like, okay, let's get in that building, make noise, you're making noise. And then, you know, they don't know what to do. They're like, you know, the, the, the guy who's running it as just a student who wants to be with a foghorn, but he doesn't have any uh, balls. Uh, so he's just kind of like, oh, what do we do next? What do we do next? And so I'm like, you need to march around this a couple times, yell at them one more time and then disperse because we're going to lose energy after this. So, and I remember doing this and being very loud 
talking to some of the teachers after, but it, and this is another place where it didn't come from a, a place of, you know, uh, intellectual or uh, logic. It, it came from an emotional place where it didn't sit well in my, with myself. I, I, something was wrong about what I had done. Um, I felt like I had done something. I don't know. It, it didn't feel right. It had left a bad taste in my mouth. I, I can't really explain it beyond that. Does that kind of make sense? Oh. Yeah, one sec. Sorry, asked a question the moment you... Train going by. Oh, yeah, there's a train right there. <clears throat> bad timing. I can't hear it, so... That's because um, I rushed to close the window. Oh, so... I don't know. Does that, that, does that kind of, you know, that feeling where you do something, you're like, yeah. And then you're like, wait, no, I'm sure our listeners probably do, but okay. I, I am, I have OCD just to be completely clear with everybody. So rationale is sort of my obsession. Yeah. And well, I never really, I never really followed any, um, any emotional trains like that. When I was engaged, I was actively trying to change things. And when people stopped or wouldn't listen to my plans or wouldn't discuss my plans. I gave up on them and started writing. Cause that's, that's a very that similar to what I did. Writing. I just led that with emotion. So I thought I had a good intellectual basis for this. So the teachers were giving lectures on, you know, stuff they were teaching in the, in the, in the grass and it was all cool and bohemian. It was like that, but uh, you know, it's always, there's a couple of guitar guys trying to get laid, but um like I put together some government funding proposals to help homeless people get out of homelessness because the sh the cycle of homelessness is impossible to break. If you need oh, yeah. a job, but you can't get a job because you don't have a shower and a collared hurt shirt, like you need to shower and shave yeah. to get a job. There was so like a my group idea of just let's start with homelessness. That's really straightforward and obvious. They, people they need to, to build homes. Let's give them jobs building their own homes, give them a home and then they can get another job. Like there really straightforward. A group connected with the, I think it was like ex police mostly, and they were, they ran like a, uh, it was like a, it was, it wasn't a shelter, but they gave you clothes to figure out how to, um, uh, to get like, to do that, to get a job, and they'd coach you on job interviews to get a job, and they'd help. Yeah. They'd the lose thing is, connection. it's inconsistent. They'll give it you is. help for well, like, well, no, a they lost weeks. funding, like, 10 years ago and now they're closed. Yeah. Uh, but now they've got OFE like opportunities for employment and you can go up there and get like mm -hmm. a hand-me-down suit jacket and stuff like that. But they're not helping people actually maintain stable lives. Like they're not giving people a place where no. they can sleep comfortably well, and have one of the things, and security. One of the things that's coming out of actually the firearm debate is the need for psychological help, uh, mass psychological psychological help we need like the people who are like target shooting are like i'm not gonna shoot anybody i don't want to shoot anybody i like target practice like i like the engaging like yeah if there's a you know enemy force or like an uprising or rebellion or something i'll go with my gun but like that's not gonna happen anytime soon and i don't really have to worry about that but like what's wrong isn't me the, the problem is the people that you know, we'll get a gun because it's like, I need to kill people. And those people need psychologists. And the, they're all saying like, we need more funding for public psychology. It's like, well, go funding. But that's, and uh, I hear a lot of that from a lot of other sectors too, is that that would be a good place to start helping people um, so that you can 
once you give them the momentum of like, okay, you got the job interview, great. Let's get you in a suit. Even if you're, if, you know, even if it's not yours, you just have to wear it this once. Let's get you shaved, showered, you know, in there. Just, just, you know, don't swear and you'll be fine. You got this. It's, it's just an easy position. But you can't just drop and, But you need, but no, no, that, right? no, no. That's the thing. You need momentum. Yeah. You need to let them carry that momentum because like momentum is hard to maintain. Um, but anyway, I don't want to get into this because I don't, because I want to keep it on because I, I don't know when I'm going to burn out. But what I was talking about was the, that feeling that, that, that left a bad taste in my mouth. Now, I personally go on a bit of intuition. I rely on my intuition because it usually tells me something's wrong. Now, it doesn't mean I have to just take my intuition as word. My intuition tells me, think about this thing because there's something you need to think about here. And I'll think about it for weeks or months or days. And then I'll be like, oh, okay. So there's something in my intuition told me that what I was doing was wrong because I was going to school and I don't think I even figured out what was wrong. All I knew is that the fun, my, my, my fundamental principles of why I was at that March were wrong. I wasn't there. I was, I wasn't there to help the teachers, even though, you know, I liked some of the teachers. I was there because I wanted to, that old feeling that I wanted to fuck shit up. <laughs> and that was it. Period. I was a, I liked communism because it was an avenue to let me just burn shit, to go attack things, to cause a conflict which I could take part in. That sounds more like radicalism than communism, though. Uh, synonyms. But, oh, yeah, that's definitely getting Not really. Communism relies uh, on ideas of distribution of assets, whereas radicalism relies on just the feeling. Radical ideas of distribution of assets. No, but, um, well, actually, no, but, like, it is to some extent that, but those come from i had realized i think okay like if you were raised in afghanistan you would have been radicalized to be a terrorist oh yeah definitely oh hell Fuck. most people would i would too because i, I would yeah. have been mad and poor and broke and had desperation it's so easy they offer a, you a bunch of money to like take care of your family all you got to do is shoot people and live well sure. that's what you got to do it's just like and it feels good because they're not thinking but and that's really not what we're discussing. No, well, here's or, what I mean. I'm it get is no, what no. we're discussing. Yeah. It's not the so, subject of the. So maybe we'll change the title to something else. But yeah. So what I wanted to get at to here is um, what I had realized is that I had before wanted equity. Yeah, there you go. And what I had gotten was equality. And I built my equality myself. I had, you know, I had. Um, courted successfully, you know, a, a wonderful woman, uh, which, you know, if you do it properly, it's, uh, takes effort and patience, uh, for both sides. Um, it's not sexist thing. I had worked my way up. I had done my time in labor and retail. I think retail was actually worse than labor. Um, but, um, and now I had, but I had wanted to be given the same rewards as, you know, my bosses and this and that, because I thought I deserved it. Now, the thing was looking back at how I had grown, I can see myself as I was. And I had realized that I didn't deserve shit. I wasn't worth crap back then. And I was working my ass. I could have probably worked harder, like gotten more hours, gotten a second or third job. And actually I had four jobs at one point, but 
whatever. Um, but I could have done more. I could have become better. I could, you know, have applied myself better. I wasn't worth anything. And there was no reason for anybody to have rewarded me for that. Now, it would have been nice to have more dental care, but, you know, I, I, that's life. And now that I've worked my way to a point where I can see myself as I was, I don't think I needed that. And that's one of the problems I have looking back and that I couldn't have articulated then with uh, socialism, communism is that we want to give things to people that we can't give them. There was no one that could have paid me money. There's no one that could have given me the things that I thought I had needed or desire or earned or something. Uh, and it was all based on stupid arbitrary stuff, which would have amounted to me wanting to be a uh, playboy anyways, you know, just spending money because I could, everyone should be able to live like that. Like if they want, it's like, no. Um, and so I had equality and it allowed me to work up and what I was wanting was equity. And I think that's a good place to take the conversation from here. So, yeah, so maybe we'll take a break and then dive into that after the break. Okay. Sounds good. You're listening to Frivolous Gravitas. Come back for part two.